We are at verse 8 of first, second Peter 1. So we're right in the middle of this paragraph. So I'm going to step back as we read. Boy, it's just a hard to read. Hard to do it without starting in verse 3. It's a long run-on sentence that Peter does, I believe, one sentence all the way to verse, at least verse 11, if not all the way to 14 or 15. Verse 3, just as a reminder to get us going in our context. His divine power is granted, granted to us all, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. So, that's where we are. We're right in the middle. Uh, verse 8. If these qualities are yours and are, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so these qualities he's talking about where you add to your faith, saving faith, we're converted, we have saving faith, we have a, a, a base of knowledge of, of God that he talks about earlier in these uh, first few verses. And then he says, now, you have this faith, now begin to add to it. Be all the more diligent to supplement your faith with virtue. Uh, with a life of praise to God and a life of praiseworthy acts uh, before men. So that picture, this virtuous life of is full of praise, praise to God, doing things that will cause God to be glorified by the way we live. Then he says, add knowledge, building upon that base of knowledge that we have that's required to the, of the gospel that, to know God, um, then we add it, building up 
the knowledge of God uh, through reading Scripture, through studying Scriptures, through fellowship with other believers, through prayer, through congregating with God's people. Add knowledge to that faith. Add next self-control, which is a component of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we gain self-control as we live uh, through increased knowledge of the Word and by the power of the Spirit, the worldly desires of the flesh uh, are bridled, able to be controlled. Uh, as, as Peter says, add to your faith self-control, and you say, well, I do pretty good sometimes, and other times I struggle with self-control. I get out of control. I'm not very disciplined. Just remember uh, Romans 7, Paul says he struggled with that also. But there's no excuse. We've died to sin. We need to reckon ourselves dead to sin, and we need to live controlled by the Spirit. Remember, it's the fruit of the Spirit. We don't just grit our teeth, and try to be more disciplined. When we're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit will produce in us love, joy, peace, long-suffering. The long list there of Galatians chapter 5, and part of what the, only the Spirit can really produce consistent self-control in our lives. We can discipline ourselves somewhat. But it's the Spirit of God that will give us spiritual self-control. So he says, add to your faith self-control. Add steadfastness. Whatever the circumstances of life are, uh, we remain steadfast in our purpose. That's how that word, that word steadfastness is patience with things. Uh, uh, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so it's being steadfast in our purpose. Why did God save us? To bring glory to his name. What's the chief end of man? We learned from the catechism of the uh, Westminster, the shorter catechism, to glorify God and then enjoy him forever. Uh, steadfastness, add, steadfast, add godliness, a reverent life devoted to God that glorifies God. Uh, then brotherly love, and, and we talked about last week about the difference between brotherly love and the agape love of the next uh, quality, the sacrificial love, where brotherly love is, I should, I should have wore something to hook this onto. Um, the brotherly love is a love in, uh, we love, of liking each other. And that's, there's easy to like people. We get drawn to people who are more like us, whether circumstances of life are the same. Um, it, it's loving those we're drawn to by, because of common interests, life circumstances. It's people we like. And that's easy to, I mean, it's, we just like each other. We may not like everybody, but we like others. When it comes to love, we're called to love our enemies. 
This takes work. It's not natural. You know, we're just naturally drawn to each other in some ways, to, uh, to other people. When the Lord Jesus, when he, when he says, add to your brotherly love now, or brotherly affection now love, uh, we love even our enemies. And this is a spirit-born love. You know, we're not lovely people. We're not easy to love at times. And so this call to uh, sacrificial love is, takes work, and it takes the power of the Spirit. So he says, he lists these uh, in uh, verse 4, 5, for this reason, make every effort. We're going to see that word two more times in this paragraph. Every effort. The word diligence is what comes, uh, the, the basic meaning of that word diligence. Uh, takes diligence to supplement our faith and grow. Uh, and so verse 8 comes and he says, if these qualities, the qualities that we just listed, are yours and are increasing in you, they'll make you neither idle. If they're increasing in you, they will keep you from being ineffective and keep you from being unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If these, for whoever lacks these qualities, in verse 9, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Uh, Nearsighted, short-sighted, to the point of being, he says, blind. Uh, it, it's the idea. It's it's the idea of. Um, I was I was playing golf here the other day, and uh, I was I, I, I didn't see where my ball went. I uh, <laughs> I have no depth perception, and after 150 yards, the ball just disappears. Now I don't hit it over 150 yards a whole lot of times, but. If it goes past 150, I can't even see the ball because I'm nearsighted in some ways. Uh, and, and my per- depth perception is at my old age has gotten very bad. Uh, and so what he's saying is you're short-sighted. You can maybe see some, some close things, but you're not looking at the big picture. If these qualities are increasing in you, they'll make you neither lazy or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You become nearsighted almost to the point of, I go blind when the ball's out there 150 yards. That's the sense. We, we lose sight of the purpose of our lives if we're not growing in Christ. Therefore, verse 10, or here, I... I, I, I I went to Titus chapter 2 because of some of the language in 2 that was so much like Second Peter. 
Let me just say, the one who doesn't possess these qualities is blind or lazily, here's how I, lazily applying oneself to remember that you've been cleansed from your sin. So the lazy Christian, the short-sighted, the Christian who is not diligent in adding to their faith these virtues, who is not um, uh, putting their hand to the plow in their Christian life in order to progress in the faith, will soon lose sight of the wonder of grace the grace of their salvation. Grace will become presumed upon. Grace will be taken for granted. Zeal for the Lord will be diminished into a nominal, self-centered kind of living as a Christian. Uh, uh, Titus chapter 2. Turn to Titus chapter 2. And Paul uses some of the same idea, some of the same language. Peter says, we'll forget what it took to bring about our cleansing if we are not in the process of increasing uh, building upon that initial faith. Chapter 2, verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, teaching us, training us as we train our children, training us so that once we renounce ungodliness, we, we make this commitment, this, um, we say no. Just We're going to say no to ungodliness. The grace of God has appeared, brings salvation, teaching us so that we, once we renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, We might live self-controlled. We might live temperately. We might live with good spiritual sense. We might live uh, moderately and upright, ethically, and, he says, godly, God-fearing, Lives We might live them in this present age, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's the object of our hope in this world, the object of the expectation. So we live expectantly, but we make these prior commitments. We renounce sin. We diligently pursue spiritual growth. Uh, And Paul goes on uh, 
we're waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself, handed himself over for us to redeem us. He paid the ransom to redeem us from all lawlessness, our enslavement to sin, and then to cleanse us, to purify us. The same word Peter said, if we're not pursuing diligently spiritual advancement, Peter says, we'll forget that we've been cleansed. Here he says, to purify for himself a people for his own possessions who are zealot, zealots for good works. Zeal is, will, will, will prod us on. So, from these two passages, I just, the default flow of our lives without emphatically, intentionally renouncing sin, committing ourselves to holiness, without zealously committing ourselves to God and His pleasure with the expectation, the confidence of our blessed hope that the Lord Jesus will be returning. Without all of that, uh, the default is it will result in apathetic, nominal, and you can put some adjectives there. I just threw a few adjectives in. Apathetic, nominal, lukewarm, ungrateful, presumptuous Christians. You'll lose your zeal. If you don't tie yourself in with the people of God, if you don't diligently pursue to build on the knowledge of God, to live lives of integrity and be men and women of our word. If we don't um, make that commitment, the default is we will digress. Uh, and so Peter says it, Paul says it. The entire scriptures of sanct sanctification must be pursued, must be a diligent pursuit. Back to Second Peter, we're in verse 10. Anything, any comments, anything you want to say? Okay. Sure. Okay. Therefore, knowing all of this, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Peter comes back to it. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, or to make your calling and election sure. I think that's probably New American. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. How do you know you're one of, how do you know you're one of the elect? You walk, you what? You walk in the spirit, okay? 
You can't do that in the flesh. You can't walk. Uh, yes. Mm. Yeah, James. Okay, there's an internal witness of the Spirit of God within us. Uh, is that infallible? That inner sense of I'm, cho- I'm one of God's chosen ones? If it's the Spirit of God bearing witness, that is infallible, right? But that inner voice that we have may not be the Holy Spirit. How do you know it's the Holy Spirit? Yeah. What's that? Yeah, the Holy Spirit will not contradict God's word. And so that inner voice, the Spirit of God, who does prompt us in subjective ways, but not really in subjective ways, because it's always in accord with the word of God. He'll never send us off opposite. Any other way we can... Evidences of being chosen, being convicted. You can't, you can't sin and get away with it until you, until you harden your heart or you, you get a seared conscience. Okay. Okay, you love the things that God, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that again is somewhat one of those internal things. I mean, we need to keep ourselves, but that yeah. fruit. But you know, you know what your, your what your desires are. Yeah. So, so Peter says, look, be very diligent in making your calling and election sure, or the ESV, the way the ESV says to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. This is a pattern of your life. You're not going to fall. But notice how, how we make our calling and election sure. Faithfulness. That's... The Spirit keeps us faithful, but we're committed to faithfulness. We're pursuing holiness because that's the desires of our heart. God gives us uh, not only the desire, but also the power to fulfill his good pleasure. If you don't care about the things of God, the Holy Spirit of God is not doing his job. If you practice these things, you will never fall. Yes. No, you won't. Well, you can't fall from, well, you can fall from grace. You can. Paul says it in Galatians. You have fallen from grace. He's talking to the Galatians, but he's talking to them as Christian people. They've not lost their salvation. They've fallen from a life of grace. 
and they're trying to be approved of God by their works. Um, do we want to go there, Galatians? All right. Um, I believe is that three or five? I think it's three, but I'm not sure because I didn't look at this this week. Five, okay. Okay, thanks, Corey. Let's look at verse one. Well, let's just read the first few verses of Galatians 5. So let's make this clear. Falling from grace is not being saved and losing your salvation. If we know God the way God is presented in the Bible and we think we can live well enough, holy enough to keep ourselves saved before God, we're sadly mistaken. If, if, if you can lose your salvation... If you believe you can lose your salvation once you're saved by God, one of two things has happened. You either have way too high a view of yourself or you have way too low of a view of God and his standards. God's standards are perfection, right? And how are we saved? By grace. Through faith, God saves us, Christ alone. He, God saves us. He keeps us. If it's up to us to keep ourselves saved, every one of us are going to end up in misery eternally because God demands perfection because he is holy, righteous, and requires you to be holy and righteous, and you're not. But Christ is. And we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So we stand before him holy and blameless. So we can't lose our salvation or we would all lose our salvation unless we lower God's standards. Or, uh, I remember Wesley in his journal you know, Wesley had this kind of idea of perfectionism. You can reach to where you don't sin anymore. Reach that plateau in your life. And he said, but I never met but one lady who, who told me she'd never sinned. I met one person in my life who told me I don't sin anymore. Well, if that's true, I guess you can keep yourself saved if you don't sin anymore. But that's not true. It would be nice if one day it will be true. Uh, but, so, uh, I just want to establish that no one can lose their salvation, but you can fall from grace. First, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What is Paul teaching in Galatians? What's the issue in Galatians? Corey preached to us, how long ago was that, Corey? Before Genesis, right? Before the beginning 
Uh, yeah, 2020, okay. What's that? What's the issue in Galatia? In the Galatian churches? Going back to the law. Going back to the law. Salvation, Paul came, preached salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. He went back to Antioch, gave a report of all the people who were saved, and while he's gone, Judaizers, Jewish Christians, and I'll put that in their quote, came into the church and said, wait, you can't be fully a Christian until you're circumcised and, and follow the law. And so Paul is, that's what he's fighting, right? Is that good enough, Corey, anything? I mean, is that? Okay. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, which is trying to keep the law to keep God on your side. To keep yourself saved, if you will, or get saved even. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obliged to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For though the Spirit, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Then drop down to verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh. See, he continues to talk to them as believers. Brothers, continue, he, he says, uh, continue, uh, don't use your freedom as an opportunity. You're free in Christ. You just, for, you're forgetting. You're buying into something that's not the truth, and you've fallen away from grace. So what was your question, uh, Lily? From grace? Yes. In verse... Uh, In the, if you practice these things, you will never fall. You won't fall from grace like they had. Not saving grace. Yeah, now if you fall away and stay away and don't come back, you're probably one of the soil seeds. Some, one of the so, your heart was one of the soils that did not produce any fruit. Maybe you looked like a Christian for a while, but you weren't. But then verse 11, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So be all, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For doing this you'll never fall, you'll never stumble. For thus the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior will be richly and abundantly supplied to you. Any more questions so far? Therefore, he says, verse 12, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. He's still talking about these characteristics of sanctification in our life. Adding to our faith, 
these characteristics. And so he says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them. And are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. So I think it right and therefore I'll always be ready to remind you. To stir you up to think about these things again. Things you know, you know they're true but I need to remind you and I'm going to keep reminding you. Um, in, in verse 14, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So he knows he's going away. He's no, he knows the end is near for him. And so as he continues his ministry to the end, he says Look, my ministry is not uh, innovation. My ministry is not to come to you with some new things. My ministry to you is repetition. I'm going to pound it into your hearts as best I can. I'm going to teach you these truths, these foundational truths over and over again. I've already taught you. Someone else may have taught them, but he says, you know them. Uh, but and I'm going to remind you of them. Verse 15, and I will make every effort. There's our same word of diligence. I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So, uh, I know I'm not long for this world, he says. The Lord Jesus made that plain to me. He made it clear to me. I will be diligent so that when I'm gone, you may be able to recall these things at any time. Uh, so that's Paul, uh, Peter's minister. Three times he uses this word diligent. Uh, It's important. Diligence. Are you diligent as a Christian? Uh, Here, let me just give you a few definitions from the various uh, Greek dictionaries that I have. Uh, Diligent, to do one's best. In the pastorals, three different times, Paul uses this word and says, do your best to come. In fact, he says to Timothy, 2 Timothy at the very end, he knows his, his end is near, just like Peter knows his end is near. He says, Timothy, do your best. Be diligent to bring me the books. Bring me my jacket. It's cold. And then bring uh, uh, who? Bring the parchments. The parchments, yes. Um, so that's one idea. Do your best. Spare no effort. Uh, work hard, exert yourself. It, it means to do anything with the implication of energy expended eagerly and earnestly to succeed. It's an important word. 
And so, uh, are, are you living a diligent Christian life? And that's what, what Peter's saying is, if you're not, you're going to go blind. You're going to lose the wonder of your salvation. You're not going to appreciate grace. I mean, just, just a few places where we find this word in other in others, in, in Romans 12, 11, do not be slothful in zeal. There's your word, diligence. Don't be lazy. Uh, don't be lagging behind, shrinking away from diligence. Don't be hesitating to engage in something worthwhile and lacking ambition. Are you ambitiously zealous in your Christian life. Ephesians 4, diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The more and more people that we add, if you will, to the church, the, Lord, the more and more people the Lord adds, he adds them, he adds people to the church for our sanctification purposes. Be diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If we're not diligent, we're going to get divided. We're going to be upset with each other. And we're not going to progress as a body, as a people of God who gathers in this local community of faith. That's Ephesians 4.3. Um, Hebrews 4, 9, and I'm going to put 9 and 11 together. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Let us strive to enter that rest. Let us be diligent to enter the Sabbath rest of the people of God. That's a picture, I believe, of salvation. Uh, and Peter, he used it in these three times here, Second Peter 3.14, since you're waiting for these, and we'll get there in Second Peter 3, the, the end of the age, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, blemish and at peace. Are you, being, are you living your life diligently, zealously, energetically, enthusiastically to be found to be found by God without spot or blemish and at peace when the Lord Jesus returns. That's Peter's concern for these folks who are going to be reading or hearing this letter read. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter said, look, this is, uh, our message was not a nice little 
ditty, a nice little uh, teaching that we thought up, that we cleverly devised. Uh, uh, it did not come from us and our imaginations. It's not myths like all of the religions of the world in the first century and every other religion of the world. But the message was the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we got that message from God because we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know what he's talking about, right? What's he talking about? Eyewitnesses of his majesty, the transfiguration. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Um, so that's Peter's description of, of the transfiguration as he, as he uh, is teaching through the glory of the message of Jesus Christ, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So that's uh, the transfiguration was not the only time that was spoken audibly, right? The other time at the baptism. John says this, John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. <coughs> That's John's testimony to have been on the Mount of Transfiguration. We have seen his glory, glory as of uh, the only son from the father full of grace and truth. We could go to Matthew, we could go to Mark, we could read the account. Luke, <clears throat> um, so Jesus was transfigured. Um, I need to stop and call June because she's with her mother. Okay? Dennis, why don't you close in prayer and I'll go... Father, we do come before you now in Jesus' name, and we thank you for Peter's reminders, Peter's stirring us up to call us to diligence, hastening, eagerness to pursue these qualities that stem from faith. Oh, Father, would you make us men and women that have this desire and this diligence. Father, uh, help us to be those that expend energy in this matter and prioritize it. Father, we thank you for this time, uh, and we thank you for the next hour in advance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.